Today's passage forces us to consider a very poignant question. Does your presence in your church make that church better? Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. Verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. So Epaphroditus is going to show up with this letter. The church is going to say, oh, here comes Epaphroditus. He's got a letter and he's by himself. And Timothy's not even going to be there. And Paul says, I do hope to send Timothy as well as soon as possible. Can't send him quite yet. Hope to send him as soon as I can. Uh, And here's why. I want to send Timothy so that I can be cheered when I receive news about you. So, So Paul wants a report about the Philippian church. He wants an update. And the reason he wants a report is so he can be cheered up. So, So he wants the good news so he can be cheered. Now, here's my question. I'm looking at that, I'm studying it, and I'm thinking, <laughs> if Paul already knows that the news is going to be good, it's going to cheer him up, why does he need a report? Seems like he already knows what it's... I mean, if he already knows that the report, he's going to come back and say, hey, Paul, they're doing great! Uh, and uh, instead of, hey, Paul, they're, they're, they're going down the tubes. Since he already knows that, why does he need a report? And another question, if the purpose is just to get news, why do you need, why is Timothy the only guy who can do it? Why do you need someone with such exemplary character and qualifications? There's only one person in all of Rome qualified for the task of delivering news. How hard is it to deliver some news? Why would it require someone totally selfless who cares only about their interests and not his own interests and who's devoted disciple and proved himself in ministry over the years and all that? I think the implication of all this, I think the implication of the fact that it had to be Timothy, and the reason he's confident that Timothy will come back with good news is this. It's because Timothy's job was to see to it that the news was good. See, that Timothy's assignment is, go there, work with them on the whole disunity and selfishness problem, get that fixed, then come back and tell me the good news. So Paul wants to send Timothy as a a missionary, basically, to Philippi, uh, which is remarkable. To Philippi, one of the most spiritually mature, rock-solid churches in all of Asia Minor at the time. I I just think that's remarkable because normally we only send missionaries for the sake of uh, starting a church somewhere or helping a church that's just really, really struggling and just can't get by. How often do we send missionaries to minister to established, healthy, mature churches? Because they're struggling with a selfishness problem or something. Paul not only saw that as worthwhile, but it's so worthwhile, he's devoting resources. His number one man, he's going to devote to that purpose. It's so important to Paul. You say, well, didn't Paul care about reaching the lost? Yeah, nobody cared more than Paul about reaching the lost, right? I mean, he once said... I would go to hell if it would if I could it would mean some other people could be in heaven. I mean, how do you care more than that about reaching the lost? He cared about reaching the lost, and yet 
When you read his writings, his greatest concern was always the health of the churches and the spiritual well-being of the, the Christians in those churches because Paul understood that the only hope that the lost have is a healthy church. And I point that out because the church growth movement in our day has almost completely missed that. I was just, just the other day, I was listening to one of the, them uh, speaking, one of their gurus, and he, he said that in his church, whenever there's a choice between something that might hinder the growth of the saints or would reach the lost, um, uh, hinder reaching the lost, he would always prefer reaching the lost over something that would benefit the saints. And this was the reasoning, he said. He says, because the people who are saved are already as saved as Billy Graham. And so the idea was, um, they're as saved as they're ever going to be. We can't get them anymore saved. They're as saved as they're always going to be. So we don't need to spend ministry efforts and resources on them. That was not Paul's attitude. Exact opposite. Paul understood the parable of the soils that we've been talking about. He understood that some people believe for a while, but then they run into suffering or persecution or they get enticed by money or possessions or desires and they get caught up with anxieties of life and, and, and the word of God can get choked out of their life and they fall away. And so, so um, Paul labored and strived and poured himself out and wrote epistles and sent missionaries and put his best people on the job of seeing to it that that didn't happen with people who were saved. So the idea that some just because someone is born again, they're as saved as they're ever going to be, is a catastrophic distortion of what the Bible teaches. We've already seen just in this chapter that that even people who are saved need to work their salvation, right? Verse 12. Salvation is something that's continually in process uh, from the time of conversion until the time you die. It's a process. Paul was saved, right? He's saved in chapter 3. And yet you look at chapter 3 and he's striving to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of him. You say, why does he need to do that? Christ Jesus took hold of him. It's done. No, he's striving to take hold of it. And he says, I have not yet taken hold of it. And he emphasized the fact that I haven't done it yet, but I'm pressing on toward the goal so I can somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. Hebrews 9:28 says uh, so Christ was sacrificed once to take uh, to take away the sins of many people and he will appear a second time not to bear sin but to bring what salvation to those who are waiting for him I mean we're saved we're waiting he's going to bring us the rest of our salvation we're not currently as saved as we'll ever be there's more we're waiting for him to return the race isn't over just because you crossed the starting line. Right? That's what some of these church growth people seem to think. That he's, oh, he's converted. He's already crossed the starting line. We don't need to worry about him. His race is taken care of. Maybe he is truly converted, but he's got a whole race ahead of him yet. Race is over not when you cross the starting line. It's when you cross the finish line. And the greatest emphasis in the New Testament is on the importance of helping one another make it. To the finish line. Second Corinthians eleven twenty eight. Paul describes his greatest burden, eclipsing even even more bigger in his heart than the beatings and the whippings and the, the endangerments and uh, imprisonments and torture. The heaviest load of all. And you might expect for Paul, knowing him, the heaviest load of all would be his burden for the loss. Now that was a concern, but but the huge huge concern was the churches, the churches, the health of the churches. And I hope when, you, when I say all this, you don't hear me saying that reaching the lost is unimportant. 
The Great Commission is we go out and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That means we need to get bring people to Christ. That's the starting point. And I, I'll tell you, I'm deeply concerned that here at Agape we've not done enough. I've not done enough to reach the lost. And I'm very eager to correct that. But, but one thing we must never do is try to correct that by neglecting the saved. You don't reach the lost by neglecting the saved. We get to the point where we start neglecting the ministry in the, in the church to the saved. It's because we want to gather more people into the building. Uh, we're not doing what's best for the saved or for the lost. So Paul's concern for the spiritual growth and progress of the Philippian church, dealing with the disunity problem, selfishness problem, uh, was a major, major priority for him. Uh, he, he, he definitely plans on going there and just taking care of it himself. He's like, I'm coming, I'm doing that, it's my priority. As soon as I get out of prison, if I get out. But in the meantime, I don't even want to wait for that. In the meantime, he's going to send a missionary, his number one guy, to get on it. Someone who, and it, it, it can only be Timothy. It can only be Timothy. Because he's the only one qualified. Of everybody. The end, of the end of this book, he's going to say, all the saints who are with me here in Rome send you their greetings. I mean, there were saints there and everything, but none of them were fit, only, only Timothy. And you hear that, you're like, wow, what, what kind of qualifications does this require? I mean, what, what were the qualifications uh, to, for this, this, this mission to Philippi that nobody else meets? Well, he gives us a few. The first one uh, might surprise you. If you were in charge, and these qualifications are important because this is what this is our example, right? This is for us to follow. If you were in charge of making up a qualification list for a missionary to go off to some important task like this, what would you put on the list? Must what? Successful candidate must have what? You know what the number one thing on Paul's list was? Anxiety. Anxiety. The literal translation of verse 20 is this. I have no one else like him who will have a genuine anxiety. That's the word in the Greek. Have you ever seen that on a ministry application for something? A successful candidate must have major anxiety. Some of you are like, wow, finally I'm qualified for something. (laughs) Timothy's anxiety is what made him qualified. Anxiety over what? Verse 20. I have no one else like him, here's here's the literal, who will have genuine anxiety for your interests. He had anxiety, but it wasn't over finances. It wasn't over his money situation. Timothy wasn't stressed out about his health or about his house or or, or about any any of that. That stuff didn't get him worked up, but he had major anxiety. You say, over what? Over the spiritual well-being of the people he was ministering to. He didn't lie awake at night stressing about how high taxes were or government corruption or, you know, he didn't lay awake at night worrying about that kind of stuff. He, but he did lay awake at night. He laid awake at night stressing about George, who hasn't been in church for a month and, and seems to be drifting from the Lord, who's getting into some complaining and grumbling and arguing. He, Timothy would get a knot in his stomach thinking about um, the, this new book that was going around that was everybody was buying, even believers in the church were buying it, and, it would, and it's got heresy in it. He, had, he was stressed. He was preoccupied with the fact that there, there, there seems to be more and more gossip happening in the church, and, and, and there's grumbling and complaining, and, and, and that's a bad sign. He didn't worry about his own affairs, but but his blood pressure went up when he heard about um, some ladies who were willing to meet for a Bible study, but there was no one available to teach it. 
That was the kind of man Timothy was. That was the anxiety that made him the only qualified candidate in Rome. Paul said, I don't care how much uh, education you have, how many years of experience you have in ministry, how many books you've written or read or anything. If you're not touched emotionally by the spiritual needs of the people you minister to, you don't feel it in the pit of your stomach when people uh, don't get what they need for spiritual growth, you're disqualified for this ministry. So what we're looking at here is just another result of the same thing we saw last week. Passion, right? Passion, we're back to that. It's, it's, uh, uh, we saw Paul's passion that he drove him to hard work and the running and the laboring and the pouring himself out and all that. That's one thing passion will do. But you, you know what else it'll do? Give you an ulcer. Maybe, maybe not that extreme, but, but it will put your emotions through the ringer in your concern about how people are doing spiritually. This is what passion will do. What a remarkable man Timothy was. Paul could just send him to an established healthy church and have full confidence that as a result, that church would be better. It makes me ask, am I a man who makes my church better? What would have to change for me to be a man like that? Or for that matter, how could I become the kind of person that someone like Paul could send me into a situation, any situation, and make it better? A family problem, a work issue, anything else? One of the most important steps to becoming a man like that or a woman like that is the good kind of anxiety to really care a lot about the spiritual well-being of the people involved and of kingdom issues in the situation. The more I care, the more likely I'll be to put forth whatever effort is required to make the situation better. What could you do today to stoke the fires of your passion level for the matters of the kingdom of God? Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of Philippians, 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.